six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound. No change without struggle. No one in power ain't giving up nothing. No change without struggle. No one in power. WORT 89.9 FM, listener-sponsored community radio, Madison, Wisconsin. And hello, welcome to A Public Affair. I am Esti Dinor. Before we start our scheduled show today, I would like to share with you um, some... Tweets from Refaat Al-Arir, who was our guest from Gaza last week. Yesterday he tweeted, Israel just struck our building with two missiles. The building has over 100 people, mostly kids and women. Got separated from our neighbors who have some casualties, at least three women. And then an hour ago he said... A miracle saved us from Israeli missiles. Israel hit our building of seven floors and 21 flats with two missiles penetrating floors five and four, where they exploded, killing a mother who was preparing food for her kids and two of her daughters. I had 30 civilians in my third floor. <sighs> yeah. Um... Yeah, we will be back, of course, to talking about this uh, horrendous carnage in Gaza. But um, I should say thank you to the people who um, pledged and uh, donated last week. Um, I, I, I'm assuming you can still do it today if, if you like. Um, definitely you can call 608-256-2001 and talk to Evan and I'm sure he'll be happy to take your pledge and you probably can still donate online though I'm not sure but um, Jade will let us know. So today we are going to talk about the fact that Madison has hired an independent monitor of the city's police force and uh, we have questions. And so to answer them, I have in the studio with us the chair of the Police Civilian Oversight Board, Shadera Kilfoy Flores. She's an international artist and cultural consultant known for her sister city work with Tepatitlan in Mexico. She is the Dane County organizer for Free, a transformative justice organization who demands dignity for judicial system impacted women and girls. And she currently sits as the chair of the city of Madison's police civilian oversight board. She's also a water protector advocating for indigenous treaty rights and clean water for all. When she is not advocating for our rights, she can you can find her gardening with rooted at Badger Rock Community Center, where she is a garden organizer, guest instructor, and sits on the community advisory board. And I will call you Shady, um, since I've known you since your teenage years. And uh, I know you're Shady. Hi, how are you? Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Esty. And so, so tell us, first of all, what is the role of the independent monitor? Um, the role of the independent monitor is to investigate uh, any uh, complaints of misconduct of our Madison Police Department officers. Uh-huh. And what is the role of the committee that you are on, the Police Civilian Oversight Board? I don't know if that's a committee or a board, but... It's a board. It's an official board. Um, so there are nine members who are from uh, community organizations um, that the uh, Common Council approved and uh, voted on. And then we have four members, two who are appointed by the Common Council and then two who are appointed by the mayor. Um, and so two of those people are alternate. So we have 11 voting members. Uh, the role of the board is to take a look at those investigations um, and 
decide whether or not to um, to give money for legal assistance in pursuing a complaint with the police and fire commission. So the board is limited in terms of um, we're not a disciplinary board. Mm -hmm. We don't take disciplinary action. Um, We do the investigative. Uh, We also give recommendations on police, on MPD's policies and procedures. So So if you do investigative work... Isn't that what the um, independent monitor is doing? What? That is what the independent monitor's role is, is for, th- for the monitor to do the investigating and then for the monitor to bring their findings to f- what he's found out regarding a case to the board. That will be the role once we are able to start taking complaints. Right now we're developing that process and we're getting very close to... Aha, uh-huh. okay, so nothing has really hap- happened yet. Nothing has happened yet. Right now we have been laying the foundation um, so that when we are taking complaints, so that those can be consistent. Um, you know, we don't want to have one, pr- to start with one procedure and then change and have a different procedure so that, um, you know, we want for everything to be fair and equitable for anyone who has complaints. So, if I remember correctly, um, you were the vice president, now you are the president, so you are the second president, so you've been working on things for a while. May I ask, why is it taking so long? It's, it's been a while, right? No, absolutely. You have the same question that most of the people in the community do. Uh, yes, I was the vice chair, and then I was the interim chair. Chair, not president. In- yeah. Interim chair, and now I am the official chair. Uh, Part of why that has taken so long is because we needed to be trained, right? A lot of people don't know what is police oversight. What does that look like? So we had the National Association for Civilian Oversight of Law Enforcement. NACOL came in and they trained us uh, about kind of what we've been tasked with. Um, And then also the process of hiring our independent monitor Um, We had to go through two hirings before we uh, finally hired our independent monitor. And so now, once having hired him, um, about 10 months ago, he started in December, but um, then it was the holidays, so he didn't really start until January. And um, because it's a new role, just kind of figuring out what exactly that role is and how... um, you know, how to get prepared for this role. And so uh, one thing that our independent monitor has been working on is our, our MOU, the way in which we will be receiving information, the way in which he will be receiving uh, information from MPD. Uh, the language in our ordinance is that he will have unfettered access. And so he and MPD have had to work on exactly what that definition is so not only what he's going to have access to but how you know how to um, get those files and records and video and whatever information he needs to do an investigation so So that is the critical question isn't it Um, what does it mean unfettered access and is it really unfettered and um, if not, what does that mean for his role? So, so right. where are we at that? Um, well, actually, here in Madison, we're very lucky that uh, Chief Barnes, uh, when we hired him, he came from COPA, which is the Chicago office of um, police accountability. Huh. And so he buys in to the civilian oversight and why it's very important to have community engagement uh, and police accountability. Um, He has been very supportive of the PCOB, uh, particularly, I think, because he understands what our role is. I think uh, it's been hard for 
people on the board to figure out in the beginning what our role was. And, you know, and so that, that's that been part of the learning process is, is knowing what our role is, knowing what my role is to be able to inform the community. So we are now working on um, community. Community engagement, how we're going to roll this process out right now. What we're looking for is uh, feedback around the uh, intake form and around the process. So we're going to be having community listening sessions because we want to make sure that people understand what what our form looks like, what our process looks like. Um, so we will be having a number of um, community conversations beginning in November so that we can get feedback about this process as we're developing it um, because we really do want it to be something accessible to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to let our listeners know two things. First of all, yeah, you can pledge online. And uh, if you want to do that, well, we would appreciate it. I think we're still a little low on um, the uh, goal that the station had. And also, I would like to invite you this time to call early if you would like at 608-256-2001, extension 9, um, because I think Shady would appreciate your feedback and um, we want to know what your experiences have been with the police and, and how do you think we can, um, you, you, the questions that Shady has just raised, um, how to access it and what was the second question? How to access, well, t- to make sure that um, it's accessible, but also so that people understand it. Yeah, and that people even know about it. And that people even know about it, um, that it is an option when they feel uh, that that perhaps the police have um, partaken in misconduct with regards to their... um, You know, if if something hasn't been right with their interaction with the police. Yeah, because I have to say, my personal interactions with the police in this city have all been disturbing basically and uh, I never felt like I have a way to do anything about it and Mm -hmm. you know maybe we'll talk about it later but um, at this point I would like our listeners to tell us about their um, their experiences so uh, just speaking a little more about the administrative part of it so you are the bosses of the police independent monitor or we are we we, the board uh the board is the boss of the independent police monitor um we are we being the independent monitor along with the board um and we we now have a full-time dedicated uh, administrative assistant for the first time since the board began. We have had um, uh, we haven't had a dedicated staff, and so we've had to piece together support from the city. Mm-hmm. And um, so I believe that you know the office of the independent monitor, as it's called, the OIM. Um, we. You know, we've been off to a a bit of a slow start, but I think this is the calm before the storm. (laughs) Like, I think I think once we open up for complaints, there may be, you know, quite a flood when when that process is, you know, rolled out and made available to the community. I I Uh, think so, too. So, um, you know, my personal experiences have varied greatly with the police. I have had um, very good experiences and also very bad experiences. Mm. So it's run the entire gamut for me growing up here in Madison. Yeah, yeah. And and how long are the members of the board supposed to serve? Because you were talking about this long period of just learning and understanding it and all it. that. So are you all going to be there for a while? Well, so with our, yes, <laughs> some of us, yes. Uh, it's a four-year term. Uh-huh. Um, 
And so what we did in the first inaugural board, it was staggered. So some members were slated for two years, some for three, and then some of us for four. So there have been people uh, last year who timed out our two-year participants, Uh two-year members. Um, Now we have... Uh, well, and then we had a member who became an alder, so we're having to fill that vacancy, uh, and um, he was timing out this fall anyways, uh, and so we have that partnering agency along with two more partnering uh, organizations, Who so we have three members who have technically timed out and will be looking for new nominations from the NAACP, the YWCA, and Urban Triage. Uh-huh. So, so they nominate their own people yes. and, and they so become th- members. Exactly. So there's, so it rotates. So about every, every year, three new members age out, I guess you I don't you yeah. time out and then we have, you know, three or four, depending on how many each year time out that we recruit and we'll be trying to get caught up with the rest of the board uh-huh. in terms and of the, training. The new ones get their education quicker than you all had? Oh, how how does that work? Well, you know, if it um, takes a year to I figure things out. I think the term, out. the technical term is induction by fire. <laughs> that, is, that, that was kind of how we became familiar with what we yeah. were to do. Um, it's you know it's it's been um, it's been a huge learning curve. I've learned so much, um, you know, certainly locally, but also nationally. You know what's going on with civilian law enforcement across the country, uh, and going to the national conference last year, I also learned about what's happening across the world. Um, There was a huge delegation from Mexico. Uh, There were a number of European countries that were there, a number of countries from Africa, um, all looking to to see what does civilian oversight look like, not only um, for police departments, but also for prisons and jails uh-huh. um, as so well. So important, yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Um, so there needs to be, you know, some checks and balances in terms of accountability and how that power is used with the public. Yeah. So. Well, my guest again is Shady Kilfoy Flores, And um, she is the chair of the Police Civilian Oversight Board. And we are encouraging you to call today, 608-256-2001, extension 9, if you have questions or comments or suggestions for her. So, um, Shady, what are you working on already? What are you expecting to be working on? I believe that you became an activist in in that um, in that realm after the murder of Tony Robinson, correct? Correct. So if you want to talk about that briefly, but also um, like will will that murder be part of your work or are you going to be working only on new things? Um so Yes, that is when uh, I became much more um, involved in transformative justice was when um, our neighbor and friend, uh, Tony Robinson, was murdered. I had a long... By the police. By by the police, exactly. um, By Officer Matt Kenny. Uh, I had a long history of activism since high school, um, being involved... um, with uh, county government. I was on the Dane County Youth Board uh, as a high schooler. And as a young, you know, young adult and young mom, I worked for Briar Patch, Centro Hispano, um, the Dane County Job uh, Center. And, you know, in learning those things, everybody needed assistance with IT. So I had actually gone back to college for a degree in networking. engineering and systems administration and in but, but what what brought about your activism so i think what brought about my activism was having both the background of um you know being an activist an advocate an organizer but then also having this 
scientific background in knowing how to analyze systems. Mm. And so a lot of what I do is analyzing power analyzation, uh, figuring out where the change needs to happen and who's in charge, how to make those things happen. And it was clear after Tony's shooting that we needed more than just the PFC. We needed more than the police and fire commission. I went through that process of filing a complaint against our then police chief, uh, Michael Koval. He had um, abused his power and, you know, multiple counts of misconduct he was found guilty of um and and it's been a repeated theme over and over people trespassing on me you know um abusing their power um unfortunately men and quite often white men to I'm be surprised. honest yes so. <laughs> really <laughs> yes the irony um and and so part of you know uh, i advocated for months and then it became years for a civilian oversight board because of the need for community voices to be heard for marginalized folks who are being over policed particularly our young people needing some sort of platform some sort of way to hold police accountable beyond a MPD complaint and beyond the PFC complaint, but actually feeling heard by the community. That's my goal mm-hmm. is for, um, for for people's voices to be heard and then for there to be follow up with accountability. So will you be able to look at Matt Kenny again through this or, or is that or are you just be look you gonna know, be looking at what's happening currently? To be honest, I don't know, Esty, because of you know, there there are no statute of limitations on homicide. Mm-hmm. And should someone bring that to the board, we I I'm not sure, you know, we haven't talked about um, if we're going to start with complaints the day that our complaint process rolls out, or if there's going to be any cases that would be grandfathered. We have yet to have that discussion, so I don't, you know, we have, we've started that discussion, but we haven't made any decisions. And so today, I'm, you know, I'm not here to speak for the board. I really can only speak for myself. Uh-huh, okay. Um, and so... You know, again, that's something that's been discussed, but it's not something that has been decided. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I keep asking about that because, among other things, one of the shocking things about the whole Matt Kenny thing—he's uh, the one who killed Tony Robinson—and then they took him off the street, but made him the training guy so and he and he had killed someone before tony robinson yes so here you take a person who has killed two civilians and make him the one who will train everybody else that is scary i don't know what he's doing now is he he's probably not doing that anymore or is he that he my understanding is that is what he is still doing he is still doing that's my understanding Okay, yes. that is... And I um, agree. It's extremely scary. Yeah, yeah. So what do you know about the current priorities of the Madison Police Department? Uh, I have been trained. Uh, you know, I've been in... I was trained on their um, stratified policing. Uh, I've been What in, does that mean? Stratified policing is kind of the top down rather than the bottom up, um, holding supervisors and other administrative people accountable. Oh, um, really? So I, I get the concept of, you know, if their supervisors are giving enough support to officers, then hopefully the officers would be more successful. It makes a lot of sense. Um, but I don't know that how... It actually reduces crime. That's where my confusion lies in. Like usually my theory is that when people's needs are being met, they're less likely to commit crime. Um, 
But I do appreciate having the knowledge of what stratified policing is. Uh, I've also been sitting in on the five-year strategy discussions. Um, and so I know there's, uh, you know, they're wanting more community engagement. Um, and and they have started, um, they've been hosting discussion circles around town uh, for a number of months now, and um, and I don't know how much of those discussions have been compiled yet in terms of reporting. So I'm very curious and interested to learn more about that. Um, and you know, you 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 were talking about uh, what constitutes a crime, mm-hmm. um, and I'm thinking a about this white guy who went to the capitol twice with weapons and demanded to talk to a governor and he was released both times and uh, i'm like is that not a crime i mean really you can post 500 dollars and be out and repeat it and then i read that he did it again a third time so if he were a black man who did the same thing, would he be still alive is, you know, really a question that I have in my mind, on my mind. So um, so this is one question I have. Another question is um, in talking with, with women who are or have been victims of domestic abuse and, and domestic assault, um, it seems like not one of them thinks that the police actually helped her. Mm-hmm. Um, so why is that? Mm-hmm. Um, and third question, again, going back to the question of uh, race, which we know, I mean, it's it's appalling that Dane County is at the top for the whole s- country for uh, incarcerating black people. Yes, and so and and also of women. I, I think you told me that. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, so what 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 is a crime? And and does a crime have a skin color? And um, and and maybe I'm putting these you are in a hard profound place. questions, Esty. <laughs> you know, um, uh, while also advocating for the Police Civilian Oversight Board, I had also been advocating for the police, for the SROs, the student resource officers, to be removed from the schools. Um, That campaign was successful. We no longer have police inside of our four high schools. We were spending a lot of money, uh, you know, $96,000 per school, per officer. Um, And the, the plan was to fade that, phase that out. Uh, when the data was crunched they fu- in 2019, they found that 100% of the students arrested in the high schools were black. 85% really? of those students were girls. And Phew. so when we have, you know, when you hear the, you know, the school to prison pipeline, yes. that's exactly who we're talking about. We're talking about young black women starting their lives. Um as criminals from, you know, somebody who's committed a crime and that could inhibit their potentially getting scholarships, getting financial aid to be able to pursue a career, getting um, housing. You know, if you have uh, certain things on your arrest record, that diminishes the chances of you being able to apply for housing and then also employment. So we're talking about these young black women starting at a complete total disadvantage um, just by being arrested in school for perhaps fighting. And and what we what also was found was that a lot of those fights stemmed from social media, you know, from mm. from students lacking conflict resolution. Um, and so we started, myself and a number of other mothers, we founded Moms on a Mission. Um, and we go to the school during lunchtime and we hand out snacks and in the hopes to try to reduce violence, but also to open up communication with those students. Um, mm. Students uh, 
especially in the last couple of weeks since one of our yeah. um, young people was murdered, um, Kaisha, fifteen year old young woman, um, was shot twenty two times, and um, the fact that we are one of the only parent supports to to be able to have to bring other community members in to support these students um it's it both felt good but it also felt bad that other schools didn't have that same kind of support so i'm now we're now looking at creating a district-wide program to create more parent uh support for students Mm -hmm. but our mission is, you know, to reduce violence and to increase safety, um, to reduce food insecurities, to, you know, to help these kids with with emotional distress. And it's very clear some of these kids, you can just handing them snacks every day. You get to know them. There's a lot of students whose names I still don't know, but I know their demeanor, you know, when they come and they'll say thank you. And I can tell if they're having a rough day and you know and we're able to say hey are you all right do you you know um is there anything we can help you with and some of the students just will open up a lot of them won't especially the boys but the girls they've been opening up a lot um and what the students have said is that they need hugs Mm -hmm. yeah that's what we need for violence prevention and yeah. crime prevention, SD. Our kids need hugs. They need love and understanding for the difficulties that they're experiencing. Yeah. And I want to I wanna get back to Kaisha here in a minute, but um, what you're saying reminds me of what I read, was it last night or the night before? But um, in the Cup Times, I don't know if you've seen this um, long articles article about the school's Changing the way of thinking about what used to be called truancy, and now they just call it um, sustained absence or something like that. In and it seems that they have come to understand that kids who are absent from school a lot are not truant. Are not because truant sounds like it's a crime, right? They right. just they don't want to come to well, school, and, and they it has deserve been a, a punishment. Crime. And yes. Yeah, and it and still is. It still goes yes. to court. But now they're thinking about it as kids who obviously have some very serious issues that they need help with, and and so the absences are seen finally as. Um, as a definition of a problem that needs to be solved rather than a crime that needs to be punished, right? So that, I think, is is a really big uh, change That's a big in change, thinking. a big step, yeah. Very important. I hope that all the schools are following that, that you know, way of understanding. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about Kaisha. What, what do we know about her murder? 22 shots, 22 bullets. Um, What we know is that it was other young people. That's the saddest part is is that she was targeted and she was targeted by other young people. She was targeted. Yeah. So that's that's what's really sad and really scary is that um, we have some really angry young people out here. Yeah. And um, at what, you know, how can we help them to release that anger in productive ways rather than them harming one another? Yeah, yeah. And again, I think that takes some uh, change in thinking, right? Yeah, Uh, yeah. Young people need help. Yeah. Well, and so often we're wrapped up in the intervention or the aftermath rather than investing more time in prevention, you know, offering conflict resolution in middle school. It's too late. We got to get these babies when they're young and and we can't only be teaching it to the students. We need to be teaching it to the families because if they're not able to practice that conflict resolution at home, kind of renders it pointless if they're not able to use 
conflict resolution in their own homes and, and learning how to deal with um, anger, you know. So, and I think a lot of our children, they have the right to be angry, right? This is one of the worst. They have reasons to, they be, have angry. Reasons to yeah. be angry. Our black and brown children have a reason to be angry. They're, they're the way that they've been treated from from day one in our school system. They're, they're really, you know, beginning from a disadvantage, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm surprised we're not getting calls, but I will tell you as we talk about it, I remember one time I was driving and um I saw to the side there a black teenager surrounded by probably eight officers, each with their um with a gun drawn and he was standing with his hands up. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe there was a good reason to surround him and to point a gun at him. I have no idea what he did. But at the time I was thinking that probably, well, maybe too dismissively, but, you know, they probably found a, a some marijuana on him or, or something. I don't know why ever you need eight officers on one person especially since you have all these guns and he obviously did not but um, I'm thinking so the four SROs who are not SROs anymore that released close to $400,000 yes that can really go to helping the kids. So do you know anything about that? Yes. What, so now most of, uh, I know that they have uh, restorative justice. Uh-huh. Um, I forget the technical, it, it's some sort of restorative justice administrator in, in the schools now, kind of as a replacement. Uh, I think some of the schools, a number of the schools may have had that prior to the SROs, as um, you know. Um, but I know that now they're, you know, putting a lot more energy into that restorative justice um, and looking at, um, you know, more ways to support students when when there are. Uh, incidences you know what we've found with moms on a mission particularly we haven't had a single incident where we've where the police have come during lunchtime mm-hmm. um, only a couple days ago when there were some students there some young folks who were not students who were making students feel threatened uh-huh. um, have the police uh even been at present at lunchtime. Um, and that was out of, you know, again, safety for uh, after the shooting. But I think it really does make a difference when students feel seen and when they feel heard. Yeah. Um, and when they feel supported. Uh, I was obviously gone for a week because I needed to take my own mental health break. Um, We should talk about that too. We we can talk about that. Um, And so I can tell the difference in leaving, you know, prior to um, Kaisha's murder and now um, the difference, the gratitude that the students are expressing. Um, and also the collective, the shared responsibility of picking up their wrappers. <laughs> so um, believe it or not, it is a, it's a big deal to me. Yeah, um, it says a lot. It says a lot. You know, these kids that are willing, these students who are willing to hold one another responsible for throwing trash on the ground. Because if you can hold a friend accountable for throwing their trash on the ground, it means that you you care about them, you care about the environment, and you care about your future. And and so seeing that happening between the students has just been, it's given us, you know, the moms, it's given us a lot of hope that, you know, here we don't have to bend down, but just really that these kids are, that the students are watching out for one another and one another's well-being. Um, and so that has been very hopeful. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So, so let's get back to um, domestic violence. 
And um, the, you know, I mean, I don't have data, but I really know that every woman who I've spoken with who has had this situation feels like she... Mm-hmm. got nothing that the guy kept getting um well it's it's a number of factors um it's not only the police interaction and police involvement but it's also how the district attorney's office decides to go about holding right. or not holding the perpetrators accountable i'm a survivor of a horrific domestic attack um i had my jaw and my eye socket broken uh, oh, by really? someone who Shady. I was dating. And oh. sorry, trigger warning. Yeah. Um, but and I did receive, you know, the police did their job as adequately as they could. But yeah. when it came to the charging of this individual and the sentencing of this, you know, perpetrator of extreme violence, it was not. um it just wasn't accountable. So uh, in in terms of data and statistics, um, our current independent police monitor, RIM, Robert Copley, he used to be the records guy at the Milwaukee Police Department. When mm-hmm. you filed for open records, he was the guy who got you those open records. And he took that process. I think at one point it was an eight-month process down to a two-week process or possibly even less process. Um, uh-huh. And when I, when he and I talked about, you know, what did we want to kind of take a look at in terms of a, a, mm, a potential investigation, right? We felt like we, we should start an investigation before we start getting complaints. And, and when I said, what are, what are your ideas about what we should investigate? And he says, well... of all police calls in Milwaukee are domestic violence related. Which is horrifying. Horrifying. But that was his suggestion, was that we look at domestic violence statistics and data here in Dane County and what does the MPD response look like um, in terms of um, like repeat offense repeat offenses, um, how many of these people are being uh, held accountable, like what are the police interactions, and then how many of these poli- people are reoffending? Um, because it does make a difference with police do have a lot of discretion in how they charge crimes. So, and particularly yeah. when it comes to domestic violence. Yeah. Well, let me tell you um, one of my stories. It's not exactly about um, domestic violence, but uh, mm-hmm. there was a time when some guy knocked on my door and uh, didn't knock, but almost, you know, was trying to smash the door, screaming at me to come out and face him and... Um, I didn't know who he was. I I had no idea what that was about, but it was scary. Yeah. And I called the police, and I swear to you that the dispatcher held me for at least five minutes, claiming that the phone number that I gave him is not the phone number that he gets, and that the phone number is not the address that he gets, and demanding that I give him the description of the guy. And I'm like, look, I mean, he's trying to break down the door. I'm trying to stay away from doors and windows because I don't know if he has um, weapons on him. Mm-hmm. And and the guy just, I mean, I felt like um, he was doing it because I testified against the police, you know, for the, in front of the city council and... It was like he knows who I am and he's not taking it seriously. Uh, well, no, uh-huh. he's 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 OK with harm being done to me mm. because of that. And then finally, when he sent officers, three of them appeared and they were good, you know, but mm-hmm. um Though, again, they just let him, they just let the guy go, and he, when he took off, he had this big um, truck with a big trailer behind, and he took off at probably 70 miles an hour, and they were just laughing, and again, I was thinking, if he were black, you know, 
they wouldn't be laughing, right? There would have been different treatment, different consequences. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, that was that was horrifying to me, and and you know, to think that this is okay. And again, who 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 do I complain to? Yeah. What do I do about it's that? It's so hard, Esty. You know, what I'm finding is the most difficult are. Um, jurisdictions right like a lot of times when there is an incident multiple police departments show up and let's say they all mess up we can only investigate MPD we cannot investigate the Capitol Police we cannot investigate UW Police we we only have jurisdiction and so part of what I'll I'll just mm -hmm. I I remember now that they did actually call and complain that to the MPD and they said well the dispatcher is county so we can't do anything about that exactly and so you know figuring out how we can hold people accountable in all these different systems right Um, part of what happens has to needs to happen is the legislature needs to change right rather than just having um, a municipal you know uh, the police civilian oversight board at the municipal level it needs to be happening at the county level and the state level if it's happening at the county level then we can investigate all those different police departments we can also investigate if anybody is hurt within the Dane County Jail if it if we have jurisdiction state you know state jurisdiction yeah. that means if a state patrolman has you know uh, participated in misconduct or someone within a state prison then there can be more there can be more accountability and investigation into you know into abuse of power but as it stands we don't have we don't you know as civilians we don't really have very much recourse and so um my goal and mission is to start my own political action committee and do just that start Uh passing legislature at the county level at the state and even at the federal level so that there can be more um civilian accountability yeah so we have only like six minutes left i have a bunch of other questions but let me tell you the three most important ones and let you choose which one you want to respond to okay so one is about body-worn cameras and what mm-hmm. do you think about that the other one is the defund the police um, mm-hmm. thinking and the third one is what happened to you okay. um, so choose or answer all three in six minutes I'll answer all I, three really fast so right. um, just real quick with the body-worn cameras um, I really feel that we need to have, uh, you know, policies and procedures in place before we proceed. Uh, we need to have accessibility to those videos. If uh, and it, to be honest, um, you know, I'm I've been very torn on the subject personally because I know that, um, especially with. Tony Robinson's case and they're not having been any video no proof proof. that's been very hard Um, but the other thing is we there were tools available there was audio available and officer Kenny disabled that audio Mm. and so making sure that uh, officers are following their own protocol their own procedures um, you know, him going into the residence with his gun drawn and not waiting for backup, that is a violation of their protocol, their procedure. These procedures are set up not only to keep civilians safe, but also to keep other officers safe. And so when it comes to the body worn cameras, I'm still very torn about if they're going to be more helpful or more harmful Mm -hmm. um and then that also goes back to my own case right um my having been shot at two weeks ago and um it would be certainly be helpful if there was more footage available uh to be able to you know to have the license plates of the shooters um who had shot at me um and Let's see. So your the body worn cameras defund the police. Defund the police. I think that language has been very 
harmful in some mm-hmm. ways because what it is is we want reallocation of those funds. You know, we would like for money to be used in in crime prevention. You know, already I'm sure that we've saved quite a bit. We've saved MPD quite a bit of time and money not having to come to East High School during lunchtime. Yeah. And and so it's not so much. And this much. is a volunteer effort. Yeah, it it. It is a volunteer effort. Um, we recently uh, received a grant from oh, the uh, Dane County Health um, and Human Services uh, for violence prevention. And so we now get a whopping $20 an hour, uh, the three moms who staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is, you know, to be able to... Um, give us some compensation for our time being there so you can dedicate the time, so we can yeah. dedicate the time mm-hmm. also so that we can develop um more you know a, a, a wider uh you know for the entire district uh-huh. so um and you know so i feel like the defund language has been kind of harmful but um i we continue you know Police are somewhat like the military. You know, we continue. There's huge militarization of the police. Yes. Everywhere where we see colonization, we see militarization. We also see, um, you know, police misconduct. We see the excessive use of force and excessive use of deadly force because, unfortunately, we're not deprogramming our veterans before they go back out on the streets. So there is still that mentality of us versus them, us good guys versus those bad guys, when sometimes it's a good guy having a bad day, you know? Yeah. So, unfortunately, our crimes, a lot of people are defined by their worst moment. Yeah, yeah. How are you doing, having been in a, the victim or the survivor, I suppose, of, of um, drive-by shooting? Yeah, well, for those who don't know, I was on my way home um, early in the morning, October 5th. I was driving down Williamson Street when a car had tried to pass me. Uh, and then had gone back behind me. And when I turned, um, they shot at me. They shot my back windows. My All of my windows got shot out. Um, and they shot six rounds into the car. Well, five. One ricocheted and hit the window of the social justice system. Uh, or, excuse me, center. And... Um, at the time, I was very confused. Like, what is, I thought maybe my tire popped, but no, somebody was in fact shooting at me. And because of having been the target many times of white supremacy, I did not want to rule that out as a potential possibility. Um, but the police have told me that after doing the ballistics on those shell casings, that they matched the shell casings from other shootings. Uh-huh. Um, so, and so, so they think it was potentially some young people um, that doing... have been involved in other shootings. Yeah, And yeah. they think that the way that my crime will be solved is once other crimes are yeah, solved, yeah. unfortunately. Well, Shady, I'm so sorry this happened to you, and I'm so grateful that you came in today. really appreciate this conversation. Thank you. I'm doing okay. Um, I just, you know, I'm so sad for the world and the violence. Yeah, so am I. Yeah. Crying a lot. My guest today has been Shadera Kilfoy Flores. She's the chair of the City of Madison's Police Civilian Oversight Board. Thank you. And thanks to our team. Thanks to um, Summer and Jade and Evans. I'm Esti Dinor. We'll be back next week. Bye bye. Thank you, Esti. Thank you, everyone. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level.